humble story. Sometimes it seems a little more complicated than it needs to be because of all the things that our culture has added to it. Unfortunately, many of these traditions have often obscured the humility and the lowliness uh, with which our Lord came. So take away all the elves for a moment, and the polar bears, the stockings, the Christmas tree, the nutcracker, the Grinch, Frosty the snowman, Rudolph the reindeer, Jack Frost, and Santa Claus. You know, that's just commercialism. That's not part of the story of Jesus' birth. But even Jesus' story has changed. Take away also the little drummer boy. He wasn't there. Sometimes nativity scenes will have three kings there, but one, they weren't kings. They were magi. Two, we don't know if there were three of them. And three, they weren't there that night. They came later. It doesn't look like a star was there that night or angels at the place where Jesus was born. So what are we left with? We are left with the simplicity of the real story. There is Jesus. There is Mary. There is Joseph. Perhaps there are a few other people and animals nearby. And there are shepherds. This is the true story of the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand why it is that you came, that you sent your son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law. We ask that you would help us to understand it, to believe it, to receive it with faith, and to grow by it with respect to salvation. I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here who does not know you as Savior, that they would come to do so today through your word. We pray that you would feed us and exalt yourself through what we hear in this scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A little more than 2,000 years ago, a Jewish baby boy from the line of King David was born in the little town of Bethlehem. And it was a little town. Probably not more than a thousand people lived there. Your neighborhood might have more people than Bethlehem had. It was a little town just five or so miles south of Jerusalem. That's not far. That's the distance from here to 526. And Bethlehem was a little town on the edge of the desert and farmland. Many of the people that were there were stonemasons. Some were farmers, some were shepherds. Most, if not all, of the people were rather lowly and poor. But this is where the king of kings chose to be born. Not in a political capital like Rome, not in an intellectual center like Athens or Alexandria, not in an economic power like Corinth, nor in the holy religious city of Jerusalem. He was not born in a sanitary hospital or even in a comfortable home. He was born in the little town of Bethlehem, in a place where animals lived. It's possible, likely, that other outcasts and homeless people or people who had traveled to Bethlehem for the census and didn't have a room were also staying in the stable. Uh, as we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, implying that there might have been a few other people there who were outcasts. But perhaps it was just Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the sheep and the goats. We can be sure, whatever the case, that the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ was a lowly one. You would not have been content to have your child be born in the way that Jesus was born, where Jesus was born, how Jesus was born. But it's not just the place that is humbling, nor is it merely the condition with which he was born. It was also the company. It was simple shepherds attending the birth of the king of kings. See, just five miles south of Jerusalem, the angels could have just as easily been sent there. They could have just as easily announced to people of high status 
that the king of kings was born. Political leaders were in Jerusalem. The wealthy took up residence there. Scholars and religious authorities were found there in abundance. The powerful were there. Wouldn't you expect that those would be the people that the angels would go visit? You think about it. If the king of England, for instance, were were coming to America, you would expect that the president of the United States would be one of the first people who would be told. The powerful spend time with the powerful, and they entertain each other. So wouldn't it be strange if, say, the king of England were to come over here and no one was told but a small group of, say, janitors or butchers or minimum wage workers? Yet the angels here are sent to shepherds. Now, shepherds in those days were the outcasts of society. They were so looked down upon and often treated like liars and thieves that their testimony in a court of law was not even considered valid. In Israel, only lepers were considered a lower class than shepherds. Now, clearly, the shepherds in Luke here, Luke chapter 2, were not awful men. They were believers. Still, isn't it amazing that they are the first ones to hear the gospel message proclaimed, that the angels were sent specifically to them, that, not, that they would also be, consequently, the first people to carry the message that Jesus Christ was born, the Lord and Savior in Bethlehem. That not just one angel, but a whole multitude of angels appeared before them and announced the birth of Jesus Christ to them. Why? Why did God send his son and his gospel with such humility and such simplicity? Is it not because Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve? Is it not because God has special compassion for the weak and the lowly, the poor, the outcasts, the fishermen, the shepherds? He has told us he did not come to call the righteous, but rather sinners to repentance. If Jesus was born in a palace like Prince William and Kate's son, if he lived in a palace, it wouldn't be so clear that he was born for us that he was born for you. The Savior, the angels, said to the shepherds, was born to you, for you. Isn't that interesting? Usually in a birth announcement, we would say that the child was born to the parents. Today at MUSC, a son has been born to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But here, it says that Jesus is born for the shepherds. Sinclair Ferguson described it's like a present on Christmas Day. Some of you children tomorrow, I know you can't wait, will come down the stairs too early in the morning and you will see a new present under the tree with an interesting shape and you will wonder who is that present for? You might come down you might pick it up and feel the weight. You might shake it a little. And you'll, then you'll look at the label and you'll wonder, 
Who is it for? And you hope it says from somebody to, and then you hope it's your name there. Here the angels have announced the gift of God's only Son, and they've labeled him a Savior from God. For, my friend, isn't that your name written down there? From God, for you, for shepherds, for sinners. Do not be afraid, the angel said, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For you, shepherds. For the lowest people around. Brothers and sisters, friends, is this not good news? There is a Savior born for you. The Son of God, who created the world, who angels worship, who had no beginning and will have no end, was born for you, for the lowly. God the Father watched as his beloved Son, who had already been with him in heavenly glory forever, be born for the first time in a dirty place for animals in a small shepherd town. And why did he come? The angels told us he came to save. But hold on a second. If he came to save, why would he come like this? Why become human at all? Did God not already save his people many times in the Old Testament without ever becoming human? Did he not save Israel from slavery in Egypt without ever being a human? Did he not save Noah through the flood? He saved baby Moses from the Egyptians. He saved Daniel from the lions. He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. He saved Israel from destruction during the days of Esther. And all of these things he did without ever becoming human. Think about it. If you needed saving, you would usually look to someone who's stronger than you in some way to do it. If you need money, you might ask someone who actually has some. If you need a job, you would ask an employer. If you need saving from sickness, you would look to a doctor. If you need saving from a threat, you might call the police. But why would you ask a homeless, newborn baby for anything? He's weak. He's naked. He can't speak. He can't fight anyone for you. He has no money to offer you, no medicine, no job for you. He has come empty-handed with absolutely nothing to offer you but himself. Forget about not being able to offer you a home. He doesn't even have a bed. He was laid in a manger, and that's probably not the little wooden crib you imagine. It was probably just a feeding trough for animals, a little ditch dug in the dirt. What a strange way 
for God to save by becoming so helpless, so needy. So why is this good news of great joy for all people? The answer is that Jesus wasn't sent to save his people from a den of lions or a fiery furnace or from slavery to the Egyptians. He came to do something much more difficult. Matthew 1.21 says, this is Gabriel, the angel speaking, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You didn't need a strong or a wealthy man to save you. No one is strong enough to do that. Not all the strength in the world, not all the money in the world could remove one of your sins. You needed a perfect substitute. The only way we could be saved from slavery to Satan and to sin was if the Son of God became human, that he took on our nature, that he was born a woman, of a woman, born under the law, and lived his whole life without ever doing anything wrong. More than that, he had to do everything right. And not only did he not have to do anything wrong and everything right, he had to suffer. He had to be punished as if he had done everything wrong and nothing right. He had to take on our sins on himself. That's what we needed. He had to do it as a human, without cheating. So he wasn't born like a little Superman with super strength and flight and x-ray vision. He wasn't born into even a well-educated or wealthy family. He had to be weak with no advantages to be able to fully experience and resist every temptation that you face. You see, now the Son of God knows from personal experience what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be vulnerable. He knows what it's like to be rejected by his own family, to be mocked. He's been there. And that's the type of Savior we needed. You see, no one else could ever save you because everyone else has sinned as well. They need saving themselves. And you can't save yourself because being pretty good won't save you. Being a pretty good person is not good enough. Going to church won't save you. No politician or doctor could ever save you. If you memorized the whole Bible, it wouldn't be good enough. If you gave up all your possessions to feed the poor, and delivered your body to be burned, if you took up your cross daily and you shared the gospel to the ends of the earth, it wouldn't save you. It wouldn't get rid of one sin. Not all the power of all the host of heaven, all the mightiest angels could ever save you. Why? Because you've already sinned. You're already guilty against a holy, holy, holy God who is so holy that nothing tainted could ever truly enjoy his presence. He is perfectly, infinitely holy. 
God commanded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And this means that if there's any part of you that's even indifferent, that you have not kept this law, you have never kept this law. Jesus said, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you might say, well, nobody's perfect. And you would be exactly right. And that is why no one could ever be saved by their works. That is why you needed not a mighty warrior to save us, but a perfectly innocent, perfectly righteous, holy substitute. You needed a human sacrifice, a human lamb to be sacrificed for you. You needed a perfect law keeper to save you. And so Jesus Christ said on the Sermon on the Mount, I have come to fulfill this law. You needed him to be punished in your place so you could have his reward. That's what Jesus said in Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We needed a substitute to die in our place. And so the Son of God needed to become weak. He needed to become able to die. He was born to die. That little manger might as well have just have been a little altar if we didn't need him to also live a perfect life and experience our weaknesses as well. He needed to become human. He needed to fulfill the law. A perfect human. Where could you find such a man? Nowhere, nowhere on earth. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to become a man to save us himself. Isn't that incredible? From now on, every time God looks upon man, he will remember, my own son is a man. And I promise you this, if you were to look up to heaven above and earth below, if you were to follow every religion mankind has ever devised, search every darkest corner of the pit of hell itself, you would find no one else who was able to save you other than Jesus Christ, Son of God, born on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago in the little town of Bethlehem. There is no other name given to men by which they may be saved but him. For that reason, God calls to you in Isaiah 45, turn to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved, for I am God, and there is no other, no other Savior. And think what he went through to save sinners. In all our afflictions, he was afflicted. Even though he was rich, he became poor, for your sake, so that you by his poverty might be made rich. He became weak to shame the strong. He became foolish to put the wisdom of the world to shame. He became homeless, not just at birth, but all through his life, all through his ministry, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head for your sake, so that you could receive a home and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
He was rejected so that you could be accepted. He was forsaken so that you could be adopted. He was denied. He was betrayed. He was cursed so you could be blessed. He was mocked so God could rejoice over you as his possession. He was whipped so you could be healed. He was mocked. He was crucified so that you could be saved from your sins. He was raised so that you could be declared righteous before God. And he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven to show that everything necessary that had to be done to save you was done. It is finished. That is why Jesus came to earth. He came to save. It was his mission to save sinners. He came down to the shepherds so that he might be accessible to the lowest that you could see that you can come to him too. You don't need to be a good person to come to him to be saved. You do not need to be better than average. You do not need to be wealthy or handsome or beautiful or popular. You do not need to be educated. What you do need is to be a sinner. I'm a sinner. I know that. Are you a sinner? Then you are qualified to come to him. He came for sinners. He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Your qualification is that you are weary and heavy laden. Come to him and you will find rest. He came down all the way, down, down in a stable, down in the dirt, that you might know there is a Savior born for you and that you may come to him. That is why he came to earth. That is why the gospel was first proclaimed to the lowly. So let us learn from the shepherds who heard the Christmas story first proclaimed, and it led them straight to Christ. And what good news do we sometimes pass over that the angel said, this shall be a sign for you. You will find him. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you seek him, he will be found by you. Will you not go to him too? Listen to me, friends. Today is the day of salvation. Every righteous thing that needed, needed to be done for your salvation, Christ has done it. Every punishment needed to be borne for every bad thing you've ever done. Christ has borne it. Consider what Christ has suffered for you. Consider what he gave up for you. Consider how he was born for you. Consider what he has accomplished for you. Consider what victory he has won for you. Consider what love the Father had to send his only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to bring good news to the afflicted. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to set the prisoners free. 
The, the Savior was born for people like you. So I beg you now, turn to him, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. For he is God, and there is no other, no other Savior. Will you find him to be your Savior this Christmas? Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts that we might come to you again gladly, that we might approach you with, with boldness and with great joy, and that we might not simply say that Jesus Christ was born to save sinners. That is a historical fact. But that we might say, Jesus Christ was born to save me. That Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here who has not come to you for salvation, that he, would do, he or she would do so today. That you would work in their hearts even now and bring them to yourself. Lord, we ask that you would help us to worship you and come to you gladly as our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.